You are listening to the Innovators Behind Disruption, a podcast series brought to you by Evolve ETFs. The world is evolving. Your investments should too. Hi there, this is Raj Lalan. I'm joined by Dustin Lenz, who's the CEO of the Responsible Investment Association. Dustin's actually quoted quite regularly in the national media as an expert on uh, responsible investing. He's also a frequent guest speaker uh, at some of Canada's leading business schools as well as investment conferences. And actually, in 2014, he helped launch Canada's first uh, financial designations for advisors with expertise in responsible investing, and in 2016, he received a Clean 50 Emerging Leader Award for his contributions uh, to responsible investing in Canada. Dustin, thanks a lot for joining us today. My pleasure, Raj. Great to be here. So why don't we start at the very beginning, and maybe you can tell everybody really quickly a little bit about RIA, the Responsible Investment Association, and what your mandate is. Sure. Uh, Happy to. So the Responsible Investment Association, or RIA for short, uh, is Canada's industry association uh, with a mandate to uh, grow responsible investing in Canada. And we have a focus on both retail and institutional markets, uh, and we really are focused on market education, uh, engaging investors and the investing public uh, to raise awareness around the benefits of responsible investing. And, um, and yeah, that's, I mean, that's it in a nutshell. So how are the terms... You know, ESG, uh, SRI, uh, different uh, or intertwined with each other? Yeah, that's a very good question. I know the terminology in this space can be a little uh, convoluted, so uh, I'll try try to help uh, clarify. So uh, socially responsible investing, or SRI, in its uh, modern form, really started to take shape in the 1970s and 80s during South Africa's apartheid regime. Faith-based investors had led uh, an international campaign for financial institutions to divest of their holdings in South Africa based on moral or ethical grounds. So it was this uh, investor-led boycott that really set the stage for the rise of SRI or ethical investing. And so in the 1980s, we saw the emergence of ethical funds or SRI funds that focused mainly on on screening out so-called sin stocks, which refers to companies that are involved with the production of morally objectionable products like tobacco or weapons. And so this was the dominant approach to SRI until the mid-2000s when the United Nations launched the Principles for Responsible Investment, or the PRI. Um, It was around 2005, 2006, when this conversation really started to shift towards terms like ESG and materiality, Uh, and this conversation started to change because there was a growing business case for considering environmental, social, and and governance factors when making investment decisions, and that business case is essentially that analyzing a company's ESG performance can help investors to manage their exposure to risks that don't show up on the financial statements, and so a growing number of large institutional investors started to recognize uh, ESG analysis as a very clear and, and concrete benefit for them. And, of course, it was around that time, mid-2000s, when Al Gore had released his documentary, Inconvenient Truth, and climate change made its way into the public conscience. And then, of course, shortly after that, we had the financial crisis on Wall Street, which uh, sent shockwaves around the world. And then there was a huge backlash against so-called high finance. And so, in response, investors started becoming more thoughtful about how their money was being managed, you know, who's managing my money and what what the heck are you doing with it? 
So that's when we start to see more of a focus on sustainability and impact investing. So when investment professionals talk about sustainability investing, there's usually an environmental emphasis and and uh, impact investing refers to investments with a clear intention to deliver measurable social or environmental impact alongside a financial return. So uh, to, to illustrate, I mean, picture a Venn diagram with two circles. Uh, one of the circles is philanthropy uh, on one side and the, on the other side it's profit. And so the overlap between those two circles is impact investing. So we have a few uh, we have a few funds in our lineup that uh, qualify as uh, ESG friendly uh, products. Um, I, I want to talk about how, how you actually qualify, but before before we do, uh, I can tell you like one of the and I'm sure you come across this all the time. One of the biggest challenges we have when we're out there talking to investment advisors or or you know in some cases and investors reach out to us. Is, is that they just don't feel that um, ESG investing leads to better overall returns in the portfolio. And, in fact, I've heard a number of advisors say to me and our sales team that, you know, what I tell my clients is if you want to do things to feel good about the environment or about, uh, about our future, uh, contribute to charities, but your investment uh, portfolio is there to generate returns and these types of areas of the market uh, are are not there to generate returns. So how do you combat that, and how do you address that when you? Because I'm sure you come across that all the time. Yeah, that's uh, typically you know one of the first questions or, or potentially a, a objections to the idea of responsible investing. But you know a, a growing body of evidence suggests that responsible investments perform just as well, if not better, than traditional investments. Um, you know, there, there was a study from Carleton University in 2015 which found that Canadian responsible investment funds uh, offer better protection against downside risks, um, you know, and they had uh, found quite strong evidence for sharp ratios and Sotino ratios, which measure the excess return per each unit of risk taken. And uh, in their study, RI equity funds had outperformed the benchmark sharp ratios uh, 63% of the time, and Sortino ratios, which measure excess return against downside loss, uh, 72% of the time. So that's all just a fancy way of saying that uh, responsible investments uh, can often have superior risk management uh, characteristics. And and so as for returns, that same study from Carleton University found that uh, responsible investment equity funds uh, outperformed their benchmarks 63% of the time. And then in the U.S. context, the Morgan Stanley study had found similar results. So you know, uh, yeah, again, the reason for this is that a company is more than just the numbers. Um, ESG analysis helps identify risks and opportunities that don't show up in the financials. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I mean, one of the things that we say, we have a gender diversity ETF, and, you know, we get that question all the time. And, you know, the, the simple answer is there's so many studies that are, are put out, um, whether it be the MSCIs of the world or Merrill Lynch's that show that actual gender diversity leads to better overall returns because you tend to have a more balanced workforce, you tend to have more balanced decision-making, you tend to have a happier workforce. Uh, and also, ultimately, you know, when, when organizations are more focused on gender diversity, uh, they tend to also be more forward-looking, and usually more forward-looking organizations perform better. Uh, but it's definitely a constant battle to talk. I mean, I can tell you about 12 years ago, I launched a green fund uh, with, a, with a previous organization, and we thought that it was going to be uh, highly successful. And unfortunately, the investment appetite for it uh, wasn't uh, significant at all. And I feel like we're a little bit there, like that today. But I think, and this maybe segues into the next point, but I think 
it's changing and uh, it's a slow change. But I think as you know, millennials, for example, start to uh, make investment decisions. You know, dig themselves out of debt, inherit uh, their their parents' wealth. And as you know, we're going. We're, we're in the next ten years. We're going to go through you know, the largest wealth transfer in history, they seem to be more focused on responsible investing and ESG. They want their investments to make an impact. Do you want to comment on, on, on that? I mean, there's been a ton of surveys out there that show that it's it's a high priority for a number of the uh, younger investors out there. Oh, absolutely, yeah. So millennials are, are definitely a driving force for responsible investing. We did a study which found that millennials uh, are more than twice as likely as their parents' generation to be interested in investments that are dedicated to solving social or environmental problems. Uh, and, and as most of us now know, this is a generation that's grown up with a, a different worldview that manifests in a different set of values. And so, you know, although many millennials are still paying down student debt and maybe they don't have a lot of investable assets yet, they're increasingly having an influence on, on household financial decisions. I'm hearing this from, from financial advisors who are, who are getting questions from their clients about responsible investment. And many of them call us and, and, and they tell us that the reason that they're, they're calling us is, is that their clients' kids uh, ask them to look into it. So, so millennials are already having an influence on, on financial markets and their influence will only increase as they, as they build up their savings. C- continuing along that whole uh, trend, uh, in terms of millennial investing, um, as you know, a lot of millennials have been investing in cannabis stocks. Uh, as we approach legalization uh, in the next few months, is this industry suitable for responsible investors who incorporate ESG issues into their investment decisions? <laughs> I, I love and hate this question. Uh, th- there are two ways to look at cannabis from a responsible investment perspective. Uh, and, you know, and the reason I say I love and hate is because uh, it's a hard one to answer, but you know, um, given that there are two ways to look at uh, cannabis from a responsible investment perspective, you know, the first is is through an ethical or a moral lens. Um, you know, if an investor has a moral objection to cannabis, then they may very well wish to screen out cannabis companies based on ethical grounds. So that's, you know, some investors might might take that approach. But uh, you know, if if you or your clients have a don't have uh, any sort of moral uh, objection to cannabis, then cannabis stocks are fair game for, for an ESG portfolio with one caveat, and that's the same caveat that applies to, to any stock, and that is, you know, how does this company perform on, on, on ESG issues? How well is it governed? How well is it managing its environmental impact? Uh, what sort of ESG risks might they be exposed to? Um, so, so absolutely, I think that a cannabis uh, company is fair game for an ESG portfolio um, with that caveat. Hmm. So let's pivot to institutional. It also seems to be responsible investing or ESG investing seems to be relevant to them uh, as well. I mean, you know, just looking at the whole gender diversity space, Calsters uh, seeded uh, a gender diversity ETF in the U.S. a few years ago. Uh, recently, as you as you know, Omers uh, seeded uh, a, a gender diversity ETF here in Canada uh, as well. Or sorry, a, a gender diversity ETF. Are you finding that it's becoming a higher priority, not specifically gender diversity, but ESG in general? Is it becoming a higher priority for institutional investors right now? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, the metric there to, to answer that question is the growth of uh, the signatories to the, the United Nations Principles for Responsible Investment. Uh, when that, uh, when those principles launched in 2006, uh, there were roughly 100 institutional investors globally. 
um, who had who had signed on to those principles. Uh, fast forward to today, uh, I think the number is just short of or has just surpassed 2,000 institutional investors, and these are the big players like the CPBs, uh, you know, the, the Ontario teachers, and you know, investors of, of that caliber. So it's it's moved from the question is moved from, you know, should we? Uh, should we do responsible investing to how should we do it? So um, that's sort of where the institutional space is now um, is, you know, we're, we're convening working groups for these investors uh, to sort of to facilitate peer learning uh, so that they can uh, share best, best practices. And, 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 you know, there's more of a focus on implementation rather than uh, should we do it. We're, we're, we're past that for sure. So do you find that that's coming from the contributors to the pensions, for example, you know, the, the, the individual uh, teachers that are asking for this, uh, to Ontario teachers to, to make investments in this area, or is this, is this a decision you think that's being made from the top down? I think it varies uh, depending on the type of uh, asset owner we're, we're talking about. And, uh, I mean, I know that, uh, for example, the CMA, the Canadian Medical Association, uh, they believe, you know, the doctors uh, believe that uh, that climate change is a health issue, and so they um, they voted to um, to to lower their carbon footprint of their portfolio, and 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 actually had voted to divest of of, of uh, um, uh, fossil fuel companies. So, you know, that's an example where it was bottom-up. Uh, same with, I know, Ontario Teachers Pension Plan. At their annual meetings, teachers are uh, a lot of the questions uh, that they're asking um, to, to their, their, their plan administrators um, are related to social and environmental issues. So, so yes, definitely, uh, there's a bottom-up uh, drive in some cases, but uh, a lot of the time it's, it's, it's the asset managers who are um, being motivated in two ways. One, uh, they see the business case, you know, this growing body of evidence that I, you, you mentioned a, a few um, research providers. I mentioned a few studies. Um, I've never seen a study that says considering ESG factors is bad performance. I've never seen that. <laughs> um, so, uh, sure. you know, so, um, so there's that, that business case where asset managers, portfolio managers, and sophisticated investment professionals are just making this decision. Um, and then there's also a bit of bottom-up. So, uh, you know, there, there's a pull and a push. So when you look at another, you know, we've obviously talked about uh, marijuana, but when you look at another area of the market right now, like cybersecurity, um, obviously, this has become a major uh, a major uh, factor or priority for most of the Fortune 500 companies uh, that exist today. Is that do you do you put that into the G for ESG being about good governance and do that would cybersecurity companies qualify? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think this is an interesting question with again two ways to look at it. So the first being that corporate governance. Um, you know, corporate governance is defined as the system of rules, practices, and processes by which a firm is directed and controlled. So security is a type of control, which means cybersecurity falls under the umbrella of corporate governance. Yeah. So that means that, thematically speaking, um, cybersecurity companies are, by definition, a corporate governance play, um, just like, by definition, a clean tech company is an environmental play. But of course, not all clean tech companies are necessarily well-governed, smart investments, so uh, you need to do some analysis and, and invest in the leaders, and that same line of thinking would apply to cybersecurity plays. Um, so, you know, in, in a nutshell, thematically speaking, I, I do believe that uh, cybersecurity companies are a corporate governance play. It's just a matter of finding the leaders. Great.
So what do you when you when you look into your crystal ball over the next uh, year or so? What do you see as the big ESG trends uh, taking place from an from an investment perspective that investors specifically should be looking for? Sure. Well, I think that you know for the rest of this year and the in the near future, I think that climate change, gender diversity, and executive compensation are the big issues for investors. These are the issues that are getting uh, the most or most of the attention from responsible investors at uh, annual meetings. Um, so when I say climate, I'm talking about managing exposure to climate risk, reporting, you know, disclosing a plan for a low-carbon future. Uh, when I mention gender, uh, I, yeah, I'm talking about uh, getting more women on boards. Um, and then with executive comp, there's uh, this, you know, this growing inequality and this focus on, you know, um, say on pay is a practice that we're seeing more and more of. And so shareholders uh, increasingly believe that they should have a say on, on the CEO's pay. And and uh, so these are some trends that are going to dominate, I think, uh, the responsible investment agenda over the next, uh, you know, year or two. Um, and then moving forward, I think we're going to start to see more of a focus on technical, uh, technological disruption and innovation, including cybersecurity. Uh, I also think that sustainable food and sustainable protein are going to find their way onto the radar of responsible investors. Uh, and that goes for, uh, um, you know, w- one more point would be to to say that I think that uh, the, the, the diversity conversation is going to broaden beyond just gender to include racial diversity as well. So when you look at uh, environmental, would you put would you put like you know the electric vehicle in there, and then and you know some of the supply chain companies that are, for example, manufacturing the battery uh, for electric vehicles? Well, I think that you know uh, HPM might have a, a different view on this, but I think that electric vehicles, um, yeah, I, I think that they are an environmental play. Um, of course, there are some questions around, you know, how the company is actually, you know, how its operations are performing on on sustainability. But, uh, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, if you're producing a vehicle that has zero carbon emissions, then I think there's an environmental angle there, clearly. Right. So I'm interested, um, you know, looking forward as to when the action catches up to all of the talk uh, in this space. And I think you live it uh, on a on a daily basis, where you know people question the the investment thesis behind uh, behind investing in uh, ESG friendly products. I can tell you, you know, I talk to a lot of people, and there seems to be a lot of talk around increasing gender diversity, um, but the action side to it, meaning the people actually putting their money where their mouth is, uh, is still way behind uh, all of the talk. Do you feel that 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 gap is starting to narrow? I think so, and so I mean, there's there's two. Parts that's a long-term thing, right? Yeah, and that that's that's key. Is uh, I mean, you know, when I talk about the the growing business case for responsible investment, it doesn't necessarily mean that if you buy an ESG fund, you know, online today, it doesn't mean that tomorrow or or, or that you know next week it's gonna you know beat all of the competitors. It's it's more of a long-term play, like. You know, uh, corporate governance is a proxy for the quality of management. So, um, if a company has a good ESG score, you can have a pretty good sense of, you know, this company is well managed and more likely to be more sustainable, uh, you know, uh, both in terms of ESG, but also financially in the long term. So, there is a long term play there. And, but just to, to take a step back, um, you know, with respect to actions catching up to, to the talk, I think on the institutional side, 
Um, our research from a couple of years ago shows that uh, re response investments uh, account for 38% of the Canadian investment industry, and that's mostly institutional. Those are some of the big pension funds uh, who, are, who have subscribed to this idea that ESG uh, makes sense um, from a business case. Um, on the retail side, we're, the uptake is a bit slower. So, so that's where I think um, there's some catch-up. Uh, that needs to happen, and I do think that uh, millennials are going to um, be a key catalyst for for uh, the growth of responsible investing on the retail side. Great. Any last key message that you'd like to get across to our listeners? Um, well, you know, I think one last comment here would be that uh, in terms of, you know, what I see, you know, going back to the crystal ball, um, I do think, just to finish off the point, I think that millennials are going to disrupt financial markets in many ways, and I think one of those disruptions will take place in the responsible investment industry. I think we're going to see more and more inflows into retail responsible investment products over the next few years. Uh, and then looking a bit ahead, uh, I, I've been hearing this more and more, and I, I, I think it's true, and, um, you know, and that's that responsible investing, if we're successful, you know, if my organization and all of my peers, if we're successful in, in, in promoting the adoption of responsible investing, then it's just going to become investing, right, with, with, with no prefix, right. uh, which puts me out of a job. But, <laughs> but uh, it, it, I would say mission accomplished. So, so I'll, I'll, I'll leave it there. Yeah, no, I agree. You know, it's funny. I, I, um, I was talking about our gender diversity fund a while ago uh, with uh, some bankers and this female uh, banker said to me, she said, are you prepared that, you know, in the next few years you're going to sh need to shut down this fund? I said, what do you mean? She said, well, once we reach gender equality uh, in the workplace, there will be no need for your fund anymore. And I said, you know what, I hope you're right. Uh, I, hope that, I hope that happens. I hope that happens, especially for my daughter's uh, sake as well. So I think, you know, you and I, I would have to shut down a fund and you'd be out of business, but it would be all for productive purposes, right? That's right. Mission accomplished. <laughs> Thanks a lot for your time today, Dustin. Thank you, Raj. You have been listening to the Innovators Behind Disruption, a podcast series brought to you by Evolve ETFs. Remain educated. Be informed. Sign up for our newsletter and learn more at EvolveETFs.com.